Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. What about Bottas's first one? Oh, you don't need to. Sorry, are you still here, Dan? Are you still plowing <laughs> this Valtteri Bottas? You know, is going to be a world champion line. Yeah. What would you like me to say when Valtteri Bottas becomes world champion? I'll do it for you, Dan. But I haven't prepared for it myself. <laughs> I'll get back. To, I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you on that one. Uh, how about it's? It's not where you start. It's where you finish. Valtteri Bottas, <laughs> champion of the world. No, yes. do me. I'll just be doing laps in my living room at that point. Celebrating. Got two more to go, and all you can do is break a draw. You've got four mm. wrong, two right so far. Disappointing. I've had a proper Mazepin here, haven't I? Oh. <laughs> oh. We left him out of this as well. We did leave him out of this. I love it. That's brilliant. You drawed? Did, did you draw or did he win? Sorry. I drawed. What sort, he won. Sorry, who are you? Paul DeResta with your English <laughs> You drew. Hi, I'm Crofty. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. We have a very special guest on the show today. Uh, but before I introduce him, we have Dan, the Bottas fan. How are you? Very good, thank you. Very excited for this one. Good stuff. We have Emma, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. I've not been on the uh, podcast in a few weeks, so I have really missed it. We've so missed what, you. What, what, a one, what a show to come back to. Yeah, you just, you just picked the one you wanted to come on, didn't you? <laughs> um, we've got uh, Mike, how are you? I'm good, thank you, mate. I'm good. We've got another one. We've got Cal. Hello, all. I'm very well. How are you? I'm fine, thanks, mate. And we have the voice of F1, David Croft. Crofty, how are you? I'm very good. How are you? How are you, Ollie? Uh, Emma, Michael, Callum, Dan, sorry for your loss uh, at the weekend. Um, <laughs> good to see you all. <laughs> Yeah, no, we're good. Uh, thank you for joining us on the show. It's a privilege to have you here. Um, for some people who might not know who you are, I mean, in uh, foreign countries, way out of uh, way out of where we are, can you describe yourself for us? <laughs> yeah, I'm the guy who shouts a lot. I think, that, I think that's what it says <laughs> on the Twitter. Um, no, I'm, I'm Sky's F1 commentator and have been now uh, since uh, 2012, when Sky got the rights to Formula One. Before that, I was with uh, BBC Radio 5 Live. So uh, 2006 was my debut as a Formula One commentator. Uh, we're now 2021, and my basic math says this is my 15th season as a Formula One commentator, which is not bad, given that after my first race, I thought I'd be lucky to make it for five races. Quite frankly, I still remember Bahrain 2006 as a, as a massive uh, challenge, uh, exhausting race, win for Fernando Alonso, uh, thinking it was the greatest job I could ever wish to do. 
and thinking that I was nowhere near ready for it, uh, to be honest. And I'm still not quite sure that I'm ready for it now because Formula One's one of those beautiful sports where you learn something new uh, every single race. But um, I'm 290 races in now. Um, I can work this out because I'm, I'm Toro Rosso and Alpha Tauri minus one because they made their, their debut on the same race as me. So every time I do my notes uh, for a race, and I, I write down how many races Alpha Tauri had done because you've got to include Toro Rosso as well. Uh, I know exactly where I stand. 290, blimey. Well, Where's we, the time? Wow. And for many of our listeners, you will be the only commentator they've ever heard on F1 as well, you know, the younger generation as well. So you are you are literally the voice of F1. But to me, Crofty, you're the voice of Silverstone. Um, it's, <laughs> I've, I've never forgotten the first time I went to Silverstone, camping out all weekend. Crofty is on the radio, what, how many hours a day is it? Uh, quite a few, to be honest. <laughs> It, it really is. It really is. And I just, I can't say how much respect I have that you're, you're on the radio for what, you know, good six hours a day, and then you're commentating, and then you're back on the radio again. I mean, how on earth do you manage that? Which radio was that? What, Five Live? Uh, Silverstone Radio. No, see, Ollie, as much as I appreciate your compliment here, I have never appeared on Silverstone Radio. However, there's a reason I ask this, because I quite often get tweets from people saying, will you on Radio Silverstone today? And I'm like, no, no, not, not at all. I've, I've never done it. So there is somebody on Radio Silverstone that sounds very much like me, um, or I sound very much like them, depending on you know who wants to sound like you on this one. But no, that's not me, Ollie. I haven't got time. I, I wish I had. I really wish I had time, because I'm a frustrated DJ, uh, quite frankly, but I've never been on Radio Silverstone. You've blown this now, haven't you? You're, you're thinking, oh no, I've got Crofty. I'm trying to work out if you're. I'm trying to work out if you're. You're trying to throw me or not here? No, not at all. Never been on Radio Silverstone. Who? Who is this imposter that's doing impressions of me? Right, we need. We we, we need to start the show again now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is a disaster. No, no, listen, Ollie, don't start the show. You've got to leave this in. I'll take you back uh, many, many years to when I was at Five Live and. Um, we were at a race, it was like three or four races in, and Murray Walker joined us uh, for the first time. Now, I'm, I'd met Murray before, uh, but I'd not worked with Murray before. And we were recording our Friday night preview show. And I kid you not, my friend, six times I had to start the intro, stop it, start the intro, stop it, because I kept fluffing my lines. And, and I was just getting, I was in absolute pieces until Murray put his hand on the microphone and went, listen, Crofty. I know it's a bit off-putting working in the presence of a complete legend, but if you wouldn't mind, I have got to go for tea at some stage tonight. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then just smiled at me. Um, and, and Murray became a very good friend uh, over the years. I, I, I miss him greatly, I really do. But it's, um, you know, it's not easy working in the presence of greatness. It's even harder working in the presence of me, obviously. But well, done. Clearly, clearly. Yeah, Ollie, don't ever, ever... <laughs> Start, uh, stop, whatever. This is live, sir. You know this. This welcome to my world now. When you get something wrong, you gotta live with it, Ollie. You've to be fair, live. I've wondered how on earth you don't make a lot more mistakes. But uh... <laughs> oh, seriously, that hurts a lot more mistakes. How many have you been counting, Ollie? Well, we'll we'll we'll, we'll get to that part. We'll get to that part. <laughs> <laughs> seriously, I think I'll talk to Emma for a while. It might be a lot better for my ego. Hello, Emma. Hi, Emma. Seriously, ask me a question. Go on, ask me a question I don't know about. Oh, I saw you on Good Morning Britain the other day. Can't be any worse than Ollie's question. <laughs> Emma, let's, yeah, you take it over. Go on. <laughs> well, I can, I can ask you a question. 
we're, we're talking about current F1. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on Daniel Ricciardo's performance this year? He stepped into a McLaren, which I think was a really smart move. I'm a huge, huge Danny Rick fan. But his performance this year, especially against Lando Norris, um, isn't really up to his normal standards. Do you actually think it's maybe to do with time needed to settle into the car? Or, or do you think it might run a bit a bit deeper? What, what are your thoughts on that? Let's look at Daniel Ricciardo's career. He, he started out at Silverstone, uh, didn't he, for HRT? Not Radio Silverstone, Ollie, but just Silverstone the track. Um, uh, back in 2011, um, went obviously to Toro Rosso and Red Bull and, and then Renault, driving, of course, Renault engines. Uh, now he's got a McLaren power unit in the back and, and each power unit, each engine is different as each chassis uh, and each team is different as well. And I just think there's something inherently tricky about that McLaren this year that requires a little bit of thought and putting to one side what you've learned um, in recent years. Um, I think there is a driving style to that McLaren that Daniel hasn't quite mastered yet. When he gets it right, we see that he's very good, but he doesn't get it right all the time needs a bit of time to settle in now when you're being paid the big bucks bucks as daniel is it's very difficult to demand that time to settle in it's good to see that he's gone down to mclaren to work with the engineers and to to put more effort in he he needs to do that lando lando has a driving style that suits that car because that's all he's known he's he's been a mclaren boy for uh, for quite some years now even before his his debut Daniel will conquer it. He will get to grips with that car. It is a multi-year deal. It's not like they're going to kick him out at the end of the year. But there comes a pressure, doesn't there? When you are signed as as the de facto leader, you're being paid a lot of money. You want to get it right. And you know that the team are demanding that you do get it right. I don't want to see Daniel Ricciardo um, finishing out the points. I want to see him battling where Lando's battling at the moment and, and getting podiums in Formula One. And I think he will do it, but it is going to take some time. But it is a driving style that he does need to change. He is aware of it. He is working on it. Uh, but it is very, very tricky. So I, I, that, I hope answers your question on that one. I, I can see hope for the future, but I don't think it's an overnight fix. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, we've seen it with Sebastian Vettel jumping from the Ferrari into the Aston Martin mm. as well. And it has, there was a lot of pressure on, on Vettel to perform straight away yeah. in that Aston but Martin. And look at the last two that. races, you know, whether Seb had finished on the podium in Baku or not. The last two races showed me that Sebastian Vettel still has what it takes in Formula One. It was great to see. Time after time at Ferrari, he was he was in a car that wasn't good enough. He was trying to push too hard in a car that wasn't good enough um, when the car was, um, and I'll say in inverted commas, good enough because it wasn't quite legally good enough uh, for a couple of seasons. Um, you know, he had a teammate with him that was uh, that was either beating him or, or running him very close. But I, I just, I love the way over the last two races, he's managed his tyres. Um, he's he's put in the steady laps that the team were demanding so that when when it comes down to the crunch, he is there or thereabouts to make that pay. I thought his Monaco drive was quite fantastic. Um, and I, you know, I, I tipped him up for a top six finish uh, in Baku and uh, got a few raised eyebrows in the Sky office about that one. And, and I think I said it on air, you know, I expect him to get a top six because that free choice of tyres, new tyres, meant he could do something on, on the opening laps. But he just has, he's got a very good knack at the moment of, of driving to the right lap time delta in what is a sport full of pace management and getting it absolutely spot on. And then when he needs to, 
banging in the quicker laps and making the overtakes as well. And, I, you know, I, I think it's a really good move for Seb to go to Aston Martin. I, I, they're a great bunch of people at, at that Silverstone team. They've been hampered by the, the regulation changes this year. There is no doubt whatsoever on that, but they're a great bunch of racers. And Seb at his heart and his core is a really decent racer and a man who loves immersing himself in racing culture if he can be first into the track and last out of the track and spend all his time talking to the engineers over the course of a weekend that is where Seb is at his happiest you know and then going out and driving he's not he's not in it for the social media you know the the, the adulation you know while some will go off and and do whatever they want in the spotlight Seb's quite happy fixing motorbikes in his backyard uh, when he gets the chance He's just a racing guy, and, and he's a lovely guy, and I've, I've always had a lot of time for Seb, uh, to be honest. And it's I think Aston Martin is the right team for him at this stage in his career. You mentioned then that Aston Martin have been hampered by the regulation changes. My question is, why are Mercedes not taking the step they do every year to keep that massive gap they usually have in front? Because Red Bull, McLaren, Ferrari have all made massive strides to sort of keep up with them. And now they're actually, if anything, performing better than them over the last couple of races, especially. So do you think Aston Martin have been affected in the same way that Mercedes have or vice versa? Yeah, I do. No, I do. Um, they're very similar cars. Uh, it has to be said, Callum. Um, there, there is, there is uh, there's certainly a relationship there, shall we say. Mercedes have been hampered uh, quite badly, as, as have Aston Martin. Um to the extent that the higher rate cars have uh, less of a disadvantage given the regulation changes for this year. Now we can discuss what, whether that's fair or, you know, whether it was intended to, to catch out Mercedes till the cows come home. But the fact of the matter is it has, and Mercedes have done very, very well since that first test in Bahrain to develop their car to the extent that it is on a par with Red Bull at some tracks, better at others, worse, um, I think, on the uh, the slower speed corners that we see in Baku and, and in Monaco. Um, I think Austria is going to be a bit of um, bit of a challenge for Aston Martin and for Mercedes. I think you know, Red Bull in the very fast corners um, will have will have a bit of an advantage on that one. But I I just think it's a tribute to Mercedes that they can develop the way they have. It is a tribute to Red Bull that they've put Mercedes under such intense pressure that they've scored, Mercedes have scored a couple of own goals um, so far and and have have handed an advantage to Red Bull on a plate. And it is utterly brilliant for the fans that we've got two teams at the front going hammer and tong, not separated by much. And then behind them, a midfield that's really, really close as well. And from time to time, Ferrari getting stuck in the act when it comes to you know podiums and poles. You know, this, this, this season that could have been very much an interim season whilst we wait for the big regulation changes in 2022 has all the potential to be an absolute classic. And I've, I've loved it so far. And we're only six races in, you know, bring on Paul Ricard. It's not often you say that in Formula 1 because it's a dreadful track really for racing. But bring on Paul Ricard. I can't wait to go to the next race. Speaking of, I mean, obviously you uh, you touched on the 2022 regulation changes there. What can you see being the biggest impact in 2022 carrying into next season? What What's going to be the biggest? Well, they're, they're a complete change. Uh, the cars and the drivers are all going to have to get used to a car that handles very differently to anything that they've been used to in Formula One. The downforce has been cut. You can follow more closely or you should be able to follow more closely uh, to the car in front. Um you know, grip is going to be at a premium. 
Um, they are just going to be a very different feel. So from that perspective, that stands out a mile. But I think also in tandem with that comes the budget cap and uh, what I like to call the Otmar rule, because it was it was Otmar Safnau who was touting this around the paddock um, quite some years ago, and I thought he was speaking a lot of common sense at the time. And I think he's speaking even more common sense, you know, when I look at it now. Um, and that regulation whereby where you finish in the championship dictates how much wind tunnel and CFD time uh, you have um, and what you're able to do so that I think it's only right. If you want to level the playing field, find a way to, to level it up not artificially by putting ballast and, and that sort of thing. And I don't, I don't want to see ballast in cars. That's, that's not something that I think Formula One should be about. You know, it works in other series to a greater or lesser extent, but I don't think it works in Formula One for me. But if you're the championship winning team, if you get less wind tunnel time for the next season and for, and for this season, then that allows the teams that have had the worst season the season before, more opportunity to catch up, to use their own creativity to catch up rather than someone handing it to them on a plate. So you're still saying to the engineers, go out, be brilliant, but some are able to be brilliant for more time than others. And I think we're already seeing the signs of that rule working uh, this year, you know. Hate to talk about his crash, Dan, but I'm going to. Valtteri Bottas had a big crash with George Russell. I know, I know you think it was George Russell's fault. Whose fault do you think that was? Whose fault do you think that was? Yeah, I think I it was a bit of George Russell's fault, to be fair. He, he, he got a bit spooked, and, and I don't think he needed to be spooked. It was hard racing. He's got to expect that a little bit. But do you know what, Dan? <laughs> if it was me or you, I think we'd have crashed a long time before George and Valtteri got into each other oh, yeah, on that definitely. one. definitely. So we could probably forgive them. But, you know, that crash... I'm told by, by my contacts in Mercedes, $1.4 million worth of damage. That's a lot of damage. I hate to sound like a, uh, <laughs> what's the advert? Flex tape, isn't it? That's a lot of damage. Um, <laughs> but that is a lot of damage. $1.4 million. Um, Half a million for Mick Schumacher's uh, crash, according to Gunter Steiner, uh, in Monaco. These, these crashes will take their toll on a development budget that has already been cut. And Mercedes are saying no massive tweet, uh, upgrades to this car for the rest of the season. Well, they've already spent a lot of money developing from Bahrain test onwards. Then they've got to repair Valtteri's car. You know, they haven't got uh, an infinity budget anymore. So I, I like these rules. And I think that that to me is, is the big thing. You, you could almost argue, I don't want to get too controversial here, but why not? Let me throw it out there. Is there an argument that says with the budget cap and the development restrictions, we don't probably need the 2022 regulations? You know, you could have had that for a while. And if that didn't work, well, then we changed the cars massively. Um, or is it that, you know, the teams have got to prioritise 2022, so one of the offshoots of the budget cap and the, and the development regulations are they've got to put a lot more into next season as well. I don't know the answer to that one, but I do remember the end of the V8 era where it got really, really close, and then we brought in the hybrids, and it wasn't quite so close uh, for a few years, and it, it, it is often thus in Formula 1. But the, the fact of the matter is, it is close out there at the moment. Let's just enjoy that and, and not look back with rose-tinted glasses or, or look too fearful for the future. As you say, regardless of next year, this year is very close in the championship standings. Mm. Obviously, Red Bull are ahead of Mercedes at the moment, which I'm not sure many people expected. And part of that blame does have to go on my beloved Valtteri Bottas. Do <laughs> oh my you God, think, he said it. He said it. Do you think... I feel like a grief counsellor. I, I feel like I've stepped into a grief counselling <laughs> session this afternoon, Dan. 
Do you, well do done. You think, well done for admitting it, Dan. That's the first step to your recovery. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying. I'm trying. Uh, do you think he can improve as 2021 goes on? And do you think that he'll sort of find his feet again? Because it's been a couple of rough races, but oh, you know, well, I think I he'll so. bounce back. But yeah, I, I really hope so because I think Valtteri is a fine driver. He's he's not Lewis Hamilton's ability, but then who is? You could argue that you know. Lewis Hamilton's the greatest racing driver of all time. Yeah. Now you can either nod your head or... Right, I'd, I'd, got? I'd say got so. a nod from Michael. We've got a nod from Dan. Nod from Emma. Ollie's nodding. Callum is listening to heavy metal at the moment. He's nodding that vigorously. <laughs> um, I went full Churchill there to emphasize <laughs> You point. did go full Churchill. Very impressive. No, 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 no. Yes, yes, yes. So um, I think Valtteri will bounce back. He is a fine driver. His teammate is a better driver. Um, I don't think anything Valtteri's done over the last few years is disgraceful in any way, shape or form. He's finished as runner-up in the championship the last couple of years. Mercedes have won both championships. People who say, well, Mercedes should get rid of Valtteri Bottas. Why? Why get rid of Valtteri Bottas? He's doing a fabulous job. They keep winning. They keep winning championships. And Lewis and Valtteri work well together. There comes a time you have to think about the future. And maybe... There is a bit of thought for the future going on at the moment. I think Toto Wolff has, has done a, a very good thing for him and for Mercedes and having three drivers that are all out of contract at the end of the year. Um, so he gets That's to choose. Clever. Oh, it is clever. clever. You know, it's not great for the drivers. You know, I've, trust me, I've been in a situation in, in, in my working career where I've only been on a one-year contract. It sucks. It's not nice. But if you want to motivate someone, it's a very good way of doing it. And I'm not saying that's why I was on the one-year contract, but it just that it just <laughs> happened to be, um, you know, at, at that stage. It, it's not great, but you know, you've just got to go out there and believe in yourself and, and do your thing. Valtteri has been hampered by some bad luck. He's been hampered by some bad driving, you know, and he, he just back. He just didn't get to grips with it really all weekend long. That that tenth on the grid, which is worse qualifying on pure pace uh, as a Mercedes driver was pretty much where he was, to be honest. And and he didn't really improve on that much in the race. Never never really figured he can't have weekends like that. He's been at the team too long. But he's got it right more often than he's got it wrong. And even finishing as runner-up to his teammate is not getting it wrong in my eyes. I've waited months for someone to back me up on this podcast. I'm so glad <laughs> that you finally have. Um, if you had to say one word of who would you put in the Mercedes in 2022 out of Russell and Bottas... Without explaining it, who would you put in the? Right, no, but you, you can't. You can't say that. You have to explain <laughs> it. Um, okay. No, you can't because otherwise it gets taken out of context. Okay, if you are looking, it. if you are looking to the future, and you think that George Russell is the man to lead that Mercedes team in the future, you put George Russell in because you run the risk that you might lose him for good if you don't stick him in. If you feel that George Russell needs more time, and you can convince him that he needs more time, and you can find him a more competitive drive because he doesn't need to be, with all due respect to Williams, racing at the rear of the field, then you stick him somewhere else. Um, if you think that Valtteri Bottas can do you a job for the next few years and that stability is what you need at that team, given that there are so many changes uh, going on, then you leave Valtteri Bottas exactly where he is. There is no right or wrong answer, only a hindsight look back that says, oh, you've got that wrong or you've got that right. Lewis Hamilton wants to say he will stay. I would be tempted. I would be tempted if I was Toto Wolf to leave Valtteri exactly where he is, 
because I think having the feedback from a driver who understands the team, the way it works, uh, day in, day out, the way the cars used to be, how it's different now, is more valuable next season than it ever has been in Formula One. But I would want to be putting George Russell into a seat somewhere else that is more competitive. But where that seat is, I don't actually know at the moment. Um because I'm not quite sure Mercedes could get him into a more competitive seat. Mm. They need that middle ground, don't they? They don't have it at the moment. Just yeah, they need William. They need Williams to be competing for points. Yeah, you know um, that. That's that's what they need. And, and look, I've got a feeling that George Russell wouldn't have gone to Williams had Mercedes and George known they were going to struggle so much for the three years that he was there. Um, and I don't think George is keen to stick around at a team that isn't scoring points. You know, you can get overlooked very quickly in Formula Understandably, One. Understandably, yeah. Yeah, you can go from, you know, future potential to, you know, being ignored very quickly indeed. Um, look at Esteban Ocon, who's still working his way back into that future potential contention because he had to take a year out uh, of the sport. Didn't do him any good whatsoever. But I'm glad to see he's, he's actually getting on very nicely at Alpine at the moment. Y- you know what it needs? You know what it needs, Dan? Two more teams in Formula One. Is what that, it needs. That would solve everything. Of course it would. There's, there's not enough teams, so there's not enough opportunity for the drivers to come through that we want to see um, and, and to give us that little bit more variety. I, I, I think it's a real shame we're stuck with 10 teams at the moment. Mm. I'd like to see two more teams on the grid. You know, it would make for better racing. It would, it would make for a better show and it would give people a bit more hope uh, an opportunity for the future. We talk about diversity in the sport and bringing people through, and we need to bring people through. You know, I want to see Asian drivers because there is a massive market for Formula One in Asia. You know, um, Guang Yu Zhou, uh, sorry, Guang Yu Zhou has got to be a Formula One driver. He is good enough if he wins that uh, F2 championship, but where's he going to slot in? I would love to see a female driver in, in Formula One, but quite frankly, where are they going to slot in at the moment? There's only 20 seats. And, you know, there's, there's, there's very good drivers who have gone through all the feeder series to get to Formula One who are struggling. So is it any wonder that we're struggling to, to find a, an opening for, for a female driver as well? There are American drivers that I want to see in this sport. It is a worldwide championship. We've got no American, North American uh, driver. Well, I mean, I've got North Americans. So we've got obviously Canadian drivers, but we've got no one from the States. You know, there, there is a, a massive amount of talent that Formula One could be tapping into if it had a couple more teams. And, and, and I want to see two more teams. I really do. So, um, Crofty, let, let's just talk a bit about your role uh, in, in F1. So it's... People probably sit at home and think this is an easy job. All you do is just report what's going on on the TV, right? <laughs> easy. Yeah, Every, easy. Everyone can do it better than you, of course. Yeah, but easy. Um, I, I just wanted to ask you about one of one of what I would have found the toughest moments in, in recent history of F1, which is um, obviously in, in, in um, Bahrain when Grosjean had a little, little smash. Um, you're in the commentary box. Obviously, you've seen what's happened. Mm-hmm. As a commentator, how do you compose yourself how do you reassure the public and how, how do you keep going because I, I mean we were we were on a zoom call all watching it together and my lip was shaking and I, I had to go you know um seeing what happened there but you've got to you've got to hold it together how, how did you how did you do that and what did you know at that particular time that maybe we didn't knew as much as you guys uh, to be fair you, you have to every time you pick up a microphone um to commentate on on formula one you you need to know who your audience is. 
and, and, and who you're talking to out there. And you need to be aware that you know, we, we, we go out around the world. You, you, you said this earlier. Um, I think we go to about 85 different territories um, on Sky. So, so our commentary is taken worldwide. So anybody could be watching and, and listening. And that includes the friends and family of the 20 drivers uh, that are racing on the track. So that when you do get a moment, as we had in Bahrain with Grosjean's crash, you have to be aware, first and foremost, that there could be loved ones watching. There are fans watching, certainly, of each driver. And there are fans of the sport who have invested their time and emotions in the sport over the years. And you are the narrator for those fans, for those loved ones, uh, for the viewers watching back at home. So it is my responsibility at all times never ever to say anything in a moment as serious as that that I don't know to be absolutely 100% true. So to not speculate, uh, to not imagine what could be going on, but to talk through what you know. And that might not be a lot, to be honest, but Martin Brundle once said to me um, at the end of my first season, when I asked him, you know, was it more difficult commentating on television than radio? And he went, no, no, not at all. I said, yeah, but people can see the pictures, you know, radio, we can, you know, we're, we're the eyes for people. He went, Crofty, there is always something to say. And, and it has to be the best bit of advice I've ever been given um, uh, in, when it comes to commentary. There is always something to say. And I am working with very much the best in the business. Um, and I don't just mean Martin, who is an absolute dream to work alongside, and, and we're, we're very good mates. But our production team, um, our, our director in the gallery, our VT editors, um, our presentation team, uh, our pit lane reporters, you know, whatever you think uh, of Ted, and I think a lot of Ted, and, and I have known Ted for many, many years now, and, and, and I absolutely adore the guy. He, he, is, he is just brilliant. Ted will never let you down and will always find things out. Um, I know I can trust and rely on every single person that works in that Sky TV crew. Um, and, and a lot of us, we have been working together since 2012. But you, you just go into a mode where you just don't speculate and, and you measure your approach you keep as calm as you possibly can because you're well aware that people watching probably aren't very calm because they've just seen quite a horrific accident. Now, I've seen that horrific accident, but I've seen it as much as you have. I've seen it once before they show any replays. Um, so the important thing is first to identify who's in, in, in the car, which we did very quickly, and there are ways to do that. Um, and then to just methodically bring people down in terms of, of, of the level of emotion that they're going through and to just to be your guide to whatever is going to unfold over the next oh, 10 minutes, half an hour, hour, two hours, we don't know. Now, obviously, Martin and I have experience of, of dealing with a situation in Japan, which was Jules Bianchi, uh, when he had his crash and, and sadly passed away. Um, so we, we, we are aware of the form. You know, we're experienced broadcasters and, and we can guide people through it. But when uh, Tommy Hertz, who was our producer in the chair in the gallery that day, said, Crofty, uh, Martin was talking and he said, it was after a few minutes, he said, Crofty, 
He's out of the car. He's sat in the back of the medical car. He's talking to the doctors. And I got to the talk back and said, can I say that on air? Because you want to check whether you can or not, because people haven't seen the picture. But yeah, mate, say it, no problem. So I'm then able to say, you know, I, I, I'm so delighted. I forget what words I use. I, I, I'm so delighted. Roman's okay. He's out of the car. And that was the first time Martin heard that as well, you know, and, and, and there's a relief that goes through the commentary box and I'm sure through everyone back at home as well. And then after that, you know, you, you can then start to piece together the, 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 the accidents, you know, you can talk about the recovery process, what you know to be true. I think I, I made a comment that, that this accident has put to, to bed once and for all the debate on whether the halo is, is a good or a bad thing. And I felt it was a good thing right from the start, but you know, the halo saved his life. Uh, Dr. Ian Roberts saved his life. Alan van der Merwe's um, uh, brilliant driving in the medical car saved his life. That marshal running across the track saved his life. You know, so many things saved Roman Grosjean's life um, that day. Uh, and it's one of the most joyous things I've ever seen, uh, see his goofy little French face walking back into the paddock, you know, and, and being embraced by the whole team and that. It was, it was superb. I, I had a chat with him um, in Monaco, actually, just on a Zoom call. And I hadn't spoken to him for a while. And he, he is still suffering with his hands. You know, the, the, the scars are still very much there. But the way Roman has approached life now as a, you know, as a second chance is, is, is wonderful to see. And, and getting, you know, as he did a podium in IndyCar, yeah, go for it, mate. That was brilliant. I, lo- I love Roman to bits. He's a top lad. Known him for many, many years. And, um, but as a broadcaster, you have to detach yourself from that because you, you can't go to pieces because everybody's relying on you to be calm. And, and that is my job. You know, at, at the end of the day, my job was to be calm in that situation. You know, and and, and it was lovely. We, we were nominated for a BAFTA uh, for that coverage as well. And I was really chuffed that we were, because I, I just felt on that day, we covered it as well as any Formula fan would ever want. And their, their Formula One broadcasters to cover such a serious event. And I was just really proud of every single member of that Sky team. It was, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an utter privilege to do my job. And it was a pleasure to, to be covering it with the people that I was and, and to have a happy ending in the end. And that, that, was, that was the best thing, that we had a happy ending. Uh, I, I can't agree more. I mean, just as, just as a viewer, that, you know, we, we had the crash, then we had a long delay, then we had a whole race to go. That must have been knackering. That really it t- took it out of me watching it. <laughs> that, that oh, yeah, and then Lance Stroll at, uh, at oh. turn eight goes for a barrel roll, and you're thinking, blimey, you know, what, is, what are we going to get thrown at next, you know? Mm. And I think, I think I did temper the commentary a little bit for, for the restart because it was a very emotional day for us all, and it didn't feel right to go full beans, mm. you know, for the second race. And, you know, you remind me there, Ollie, actually, we should pay tribute to the 19 drivers who then went out and raced, you know, after seeing what they did, you know, we talk about the gladiators and, and I think they proved it that day, uh, to be honest, because they then went and gave us, you know, a, a, an epic race as well. Sorry, I was on mute there. <laughs> That's all right. I do it myself occasionally, you know. Um, I forget to turn my mic on. Although, uh, was it Monaco, where it took me about a minute and a half to start talking? <laughs> what happened? We could we could hear you slightly. Yeah, in the yeah. <laughs> you could hear me on someone else's mic. It wasn't my fault at all. My mic actually was on. I, you know, and I, off the top of my head, I was thinking, oh, there's some amazing things I'm going to say here. And then suddenly my mic stopped working. Oh. You know, you, you, you know you're unpopular when even your microphone doesn't want you to look at um, we, we always make it really, really difficult for Ollie to edit this podcast. We always do it. 
<laughs> yeah, especially when I'm on. Sorry, we're at uh, 45 minutes now, and we've barely got going. <laughs> what I was going to say before I made that blunder um, was these sort of things that happen in F1 with, like, for example, Grosjean's crash. The mm. something that you cannot prepare for being nope. a commentator, but. Just talk us through what you do to prepare yourself for an F1 weekend because um, my husband, for example, he's a, a commentator for um, karting. He does a lot of British 24-hour kart races nice. and he, he commentates on that. He, he did one weekend where he, he actually commentated and also jumped in the car and raced as well during wow. that 24 hours. But I've seen the preparation that he has to do just for a, a kart race. He's, he's you know got all the stats, the driver names, and sometimes there's like over 100 drivers um, in the carts and he has to remember everything but do you have someone that sort of collates all the stats for you or do you have to do a lot of that preparation yourself just talk me through what what you have to do to research yeah so it's, it's a mixture really um sean kelly virtual Statman, uh, we use his stats uh you know and, and sean and i you know regularly send each other emails um Sometimes with me going, right, I've spotted your first mistake of the weekend then, um, which, he, which he really likes because at least it means I'm reading his stats. But also um, it's very good to cross-reference. You know, you want to get things right. And, and I always check if I'm not quite sure. Um, but uh, Murray Walker uh, used to write his notes down. Uh, and if it worked for the greatest commentator of all time, uh, then it should work for me as well. And actually, because I'm sat at my desk at the moment, I can get my notes out. So these, this is my track map for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, as you can see, with a few notes on there as well that tells you things. Uh, anyway, uh, tells you things like um, Baku, 777 miles east of Sochi, 487 miles from Tehran, approximately a 10-hour drive. Now, I have no idea when I was thinking I was going to get that stat in to on the broadcast, but, you know, with Ted Kravitz, you need to have something up your sleeve to try and outstat him a little bit. And a 10-hour drive to Tehran sounded like a good one to me. Um, and then you have um, a double side of A4. Impossibly small writing here. You see why I wear glasses now. Um, that covers every team and every driver and a little bit on, you know, just general stats at all uh, for, for the season, I should say. So, um, I know... It, Charles Leclerc, I've written down here, fifth driver in Formula One history to take pole and fail to start a race after uh, Jean-Pierre Jarier, Didier Peroni, uh, Michael Schumacher and Jarno Trulli. So things like that. Now, I'm not going to read all of these stats out. You can over-prepare, you really can. But you don't know which ones you're going to read out, which ones you're not going to read out. So you might as well do it for everybody. Um, and you never know, you know, how the race is going to unfold and whether you actually need to, to fill a bit of time for a couple of laps or whether it's going to be so exciting you don't need to. In tandem with that, I have a wall of stats um, on the left-hand wall of the commentary box, which um, covers things like past performance qualifying in the race at a particular venue, uh, qualifying performance for the drivers, um, uh, race last 20 races, qualifying in the race, um, a career records, that sort of thing. Things that I know I can refer to in an instant if I'm searching for, right, Max is going to win this. I'm just going to check how many times Max Verstappen has won a Formula One race because it's going to come in because you want to get it right. And there's nothing wrong with having this stuff written out in front of you. But if you write out too much, then you won't find the information. And um, what I also do for the race, folder here, um, I also write out the grid as well with a, a note from each driver. 
So when I when I open my mouth, um, uh, we have the Formula One theme, and then I open my mouth. You have to believe me on this one. Um, there's nothing scripted. I don't write anything down uh, because I'm well, I'm talking to the pictures. And if I write things down, I'm not looking at the pictures. And I honestly, I'd like to tell you, I know what's coming, but I don't. I know it follows a certain formula, but some of those you know, stats they come up with, you know, Azerbaijan, 28 metres below sea level. And I've no idea that that's what is going to be flashed up on the screen. So I just try, I try and say something and hope that I can then segue into whatever I'm seeing on the screen. You know, it kind of keeps you fresh a little bit and I don't mind the challenge at all. Um, and then you go into the grid. So I have the grid. So I write something down about each driver because I'm not quite sure what I'm going to be able to get in and what I'm not going to be able to get in. So, you know, um, here I've got um, pole, Charles Leclerc, back-to-back poles, pole sitters led lap one every race in Baku. Lewis Hamilton second on the grid for the third consecutive Azerbaijan Grand Prix, one from second here in 2018. I've just written just little things down um, about each driver. So that as I go through the grid, if I've got time to get something in, I will do. If I haven't, I'll, I'll then move on. Um, and you just basically you talk your way through it and, and back yourself a little bit. Um, I, I used to go to church many, many years ago. My mum used to take me to church on a Sunday morning and there was a Methodist minister, the Reverend Alan Washbrook, who I said uh, once, do you, do you ever write your sermons out? He said, no, I, I walk up to the pulpit and I offer a prayer to the Lord and, uh, and he guides me through it. Well, I'm, I'm not saying for one second that I offer a prayer to the Lord, but if it was good enough for the Reverend Alan Washbrook, it's good enough for me. I don't need to write it out. Um, I do all my notes. I prepare little little gems and then just kind of go with the flow, really. It's a jazz freestyle for two hours, isn't it? I've got to be honest, I didn't for one minute think that that was a freestyle because for, for a lot of us, we turn the volume up on full blast when you hear the F1 intro come in, right? Mm-hmm. It's full whack. Tell all the neighbours. And then you hear Crofty in Crofty voice going through the stats. <laughs> and I thought, no way is that off the top of his head. That's really interesting to know. I never would have known that. Yeah, well, you've got to talk to the pictures. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to take your eye off the screen for longer than you have to. And um, yeah, it works for me. Some people uh, script out stuff. Um, we we actually we had a chat in the office the other day about this, and uh, Simon Lazenby. Uh, we were talking about you know writing things out and you know preparing stuff. And Lazenby went, "Yeah, Crofty never prepares. Crofty never writes a script out." I went, "No, I don't." He went, "Until it comes to the end of the season, his World Championship line, he always thinks about that." And, and to be fair, I do. Um, so uh, I. <laughs> I, I do think about it because that's the bit that's going to get played out a lot in the future and you just want to make it sound good um, on this one. So uh, so I try. What's the eighth for Lewis Hamilton going to be? I'm not going to tell you that. Oh. He hasn't won it yet, <laughs> you, you know it though already, I'm sure. What about, what about Bottas' first one? Oh, you don't need to. Sorry, are you still here, Dan? Are you still plowing <laughs> this Valtteri Bottas? You know, is going to be a world champion line. Yeah, what would you like me to say when Valtteri Bottas becomes world champion? I'll do it for you, Dan. But I haven't prepared for it myself. <laughs> I'll get back. To, <laughs> I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you on that one. Uh, how about it's? It's not where you start. It's where you finish. Valtteri Bottas, <laughs> champion of the world. That'll yes. do me. I'll just be doing laps in my living room at that point, celebrating. <laughs> Dan, that's going to that's gonna be your ringtone, Dan, isn't it? I'll send it, will, it to you. It will, honestly. That will be my ringtone. <laughs> you have that one on me, fella. <laughs> Speaking of um, you being in the box um, with Martin Brundle, has there been one time where 
he's shot you a glance, something's happened, and it has been really difficult to keep your composure in terms of humour and trying not to yep. laugh. There's got to be that one point where you've just, you belly laugh and trying to, and, and I want to know that point. So it was China. <laughs> well, there's been a few, it has to be said. Martin and I do like a giggle. Um, it's been a few, but the, the one that sticks out was China. Uh, it was qualifying. Yeah, I think it was qualifying in China. And um, you know when Lewis Hamilton gets into a car, he's got a set routine when he gets into a racing car. I know what you're going to say. And, and <laughs> <laughs> so I'm watching Lewis getting into the car, and blah, 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 blah. And Lewis Hamilton uh, just adjusting himself before he gets into the car. I just looked at Martin and smiled because he has the, he tugs down his trousers and he makes sure he's either dressing to the left or the right and he's not dressing straight down just in case he has to put the brakes on very suddenly. You know, there are there are five people on this call and know exactly what that sort of pain threshold's like. <laughs> he's actually given birth and thinks that we're all complete wusses. But um, <laughs> I shot Martin a glance and started giggling. And Martin went, I don't know why you're laughing. I went, because it's quite funny. He went, no, it's very serious. You need to do this properly. I went, you do? And he started talking about um, how a driver needs to get into the car properly and make sure the belts are not crossed and not touching anything because the G-force, obviously, going into the first corner uh, can be a bit excruciating if you get it wrong. I said, all right, and, and, and have you, has there ever been an opportunity for you to experience that, that pain at all in your life? And, and, and we just started literally talking bollocks for three hours, um, for three minutes. Um, and we did, and every time he tried to be serious about it, I started giggling. And every time I started giggling, Martin started giggling as well. And we were just talking about Lewis Hamilton's uh, nether regions and how painful it is for drivers. Um, until uh, our producer at the time, it was Phil, uh, Phil Marshall, who was producing, got on the talk back and went, are you two going to concentrate on anything other than Lewis's testicles? Right, like, no, gold film. Let's not move on. Um, so just a bit of a giggle. And there was a time in Monaco uh, where I got really excited about a battle between Jensen Button and Sergio Perez, and I started commentating at full pelt. And Martin's given me a look to say, "What the hell are you doing?" I remember this. I think it's incredible. What? What a brilliant <laughs> battle, Leo! And is Perez going to get past? And uh, oh, it's a replay, isn't it? That was brilliant. What a doofus. And I, I honestly, I had not seen the replay bit at the top of the telly and I was getting so excited. And at, at a moment like that, you've just got to turn around and go, yeah, hands up, I, I'm a complete doofus. Um, but I'd rather, do you know what? I'd rather a commentator get excited than not get excited. And, you know, I think I think that any any overtaking manoeuvre in Monaco, you can be forgiven for getting excited, even if it is a replay. That's I was like that friend. Point. I was like the Monegasque TV director, you know, who wanted to show his Lance Stroll going over the bollards, uh, over the, the curbs again. <laughs> oh, that that was a, that was painful to watch that Lance Stroll replay <laughs> over and over again. On Dan, to be fair, but there you go. <laughs> just you going. What has happened? Just spoke for everyone when you said that line. <laughs> <laughs> um, the most subtle I could have been at that stage. <laughs> for God's sake. Um, moving away from Hamilton's private parts, um, you do a fair bit of your, of darts commentary as well. You like yeah. you like your darts at Ali Pali and all that sort of... How does that differ? Obviously, it differs massively. But what are the main differences for you between the two? Well, it's all aerodynamics, Dan, at the end of the day. Never forget that. Um, how does it differ? Well, there's only two people up on the stage. 
and up at the hockey. So it's it's it's, it's a lot easier to remember who's there. Um, it's darts. Look, I, I I'm very lucky in that I I cover darts um, at the World Championships. I don't get a chance to do it throughout the rest of the year, but you can have a lot more fun, I think, with darts. As, to, to me, as long as you love and respect the sport, which I do, and and I respect hugely that the the darts player's ability to perform under the pressure that they're they're under and to produce such excellence at, at all times. You know, I used to play pub darts. Um, I, I won one trophy and that was a captain's trophy and I won it on double three. So you can see what my doubling was like, the fact that I actually got down to that. Um, but I, you can have a bit more fun with it and you can be a bit more of a character, but it's it's just all about excitement and emotion. And also, and, and I love, uh, yeah, I, working with Wayne Mardle is brilliant because Wayne Wayne's a very emotion, emotional guy and you know, I've, I've known Wayne for many, many years from, from his BDO days. Um, but he is a great technician when it comes to darts as well. He understands why a player is struggling. So you can analyse the game as it's going on. And I, I think Wayne is one of the finest commentators on TV at the moment um, in that he has fun. He completely loses it when something sensational is happening. Um, the other day, Jose de Souza hit uh, three double tops to win the opening leg uh, of a match in the Premier League. Nobody does that. Not, not to win, not to win an opening leg, and Wayne went completely over the top and completely lost his voice uh, as um, as a result of it. Brilliant, is that? And he goes from that, and he was like, oh, "Stop it! No, stop it! No, stop it!" And it, and and just then went completely lost it. But he also analyzes the game, and he analyzes the game really well. And, and I like I like I like that balance between being a character and an analysis as well, because you know I am a sporting fan. And I want to hear that sort of analysis. And that's why, you know, I love hearing Martin's take on, on driving and Paul's take on driving and, and Jensen and Johnny uh, and Ant and Karoon when they come in as well. I mean, these are the guys that have raced in a Formula One car. I'm, I'm the idiot that had three laps once and, and, and never want to do it again because that was such a glorious moment. I don't think it could be better to, if I repeated it. Um, but they're the guys who know it inside out. So I want to ask them the questions that give you guys the analysis you deserve. And then I'll have a bit of fun and help tell the story as well and get as excited as, as you are. And hopefully it all comes together. And for 23 races each season, we, uh, we we make a perfect marriage out of it. I'm actually quite a good fan of the darts as well. I quite like oh, yeah. it. Yeah. I've Who's your favourite to... player? Well, Gary Anderson, obviously, because I'm Scottish, but yeah. obviously. Um, I've seen the darts in Vegas. Uh, we went to watch. We we literally didn't know it was on. We were in Vegas for a wedding and we didn't know the darts was on. Wow. And we were just like, we have to go because yeah. it's insane. The atmosphere was incredible. It was literally everyone from the UK who just descended on Mandalay Bay for this. There was no Americans <laughs> there at all. Because it, it was like 11 o'clock in the morning. They were playing darts as well because the yeah, time difference. We were very, very drunk when yes. we were sat watching <laughs> Absolutely, it's darts, for instance. So Gary Anderson, so I, I've known Gary many, many years as well from his BDO days. I, I've, I've been there when Gary Anderson's thrown his darts into the lake at the lakeside and said he's never going to play God. darts ever again. <laughs> and um, I think I made the comment such as, well, that's absolutely fine, but you were so crap tonight, you actually missed the lake, mate. I'd go back and get some practice. Um, and <laughs> Gary, I see Gary, you know, a few times a year, you know, when I'm down at Ali Pali, we always have a good catch up. He's massively into cars. And his Formula One and stuff as well. Um, there was a night I was watching from the side of the stage. And I actually hadn't seen Gary, and we we got to like fourth round stage. It was the it was the night that Van Barneveld beat uh, Michael Van Gogh, and he had made that comeback. Oh right, that yeah, brilliant fourth round match. And Gary came off the stage, and he was like, 
uh, one set to nil up against um, oh Christ uh, Vincent van der, uh, Vincent van der Voort and he came down the steps saw me came over and gave me a massive big hug hey how you doing I said I'm oh, brilliant Gary yeah yeah not bad oh Croft you got to come and see my new car I got a new Audi it's, it's brilliant I said so, Gary will you just go backstage and get on with your game mate please you know, save the conversation till later. Oh, no, but I want to tell you about my cut, Gary. I've had a bet. I've got you to win 4-0. I'd like you to concentrate. Would you mind doing that, please? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. No. So, Gary, just piss off and go and play your game. <laughs> um, but he's and he's, he's just a properly good lad. And, you know, Rachel is other half uh, lovely as well. And uh, at Darts is, is a great family um, and full of brilliant characters. And, and Formula One is very much like that in many respects as well. You know, you want to annihilate the competition on the track, but we're all one big family off the track as well. And, and, and travelling in that circus, you know, it, it's a, it's an absolute privilege to be part of that family um, in some way, shape or form. Uh, there are similarities there uh, between both sports, including ever, the aerodynamics. Have you ever had the urge when you're commentating on the darts to then all of a sudden just go, and it's flights out and away we go? Oh, no, yeah, no, I did it. I did it. When did I, you? Um, yeah, when I... Uh, so, when did I not see this? Uh, so the, <laughs> when I was presenting the World Championships, um, when I was presenting the first World Championships I presented when I started with Sky, uh, I handed to the commentators... <laughs> <laughs> for the first match that afternoon. Uh, so, now it's, uh, so it's time to get on with it now. Justin Pipe against whoever. I forget who it was now. Um, I said, uh, I said, only one way to do this handover. It's uh, lights out and away we throw. Um, <laughs> oh, that's even that's better. Really, that's even better, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, we had, there was a match, uh, there was a match last year between Gabriel Clemens and Max Hopp. First ever all German televised match in darts. And, and I think I know, my emotions were getting carried, I was getting carried away with myself. And I, 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 with about five seconds to go before the handover, I thought, oh no, this would be really good. And uh, I think my, my first, my first words were something, uh, guten Abend, meinen Damen und Herren, willkommen to das darts. And I thought that was a really good intro. And I'm sat next to my co-commentator who's going, oh, for God's sake, what are you on? <laughs> Shaking their head, you know. But I thought Bill Common to Das Darts was the best way to introduce an all-German clash. So we do a little uh, segment on the podcast, and it's called The Motorsport Time Machine. Yes, it is as glamorous as it sounds. Um, <laughs> many people have been in before. So Are you playing this for laughs? Is that like a deadpan version of uh, way of doing this, Callum? That was good. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit, thanks. <laughs> I tried. Seriously, you've, caught me, you, you've said it now, though, so it sort of killed the joke a little bit. <laughs> Sorry, Karen, tell you what, start again, right? So no, we, we can't do that again. False start. Let's have another. You're not, you're not allowed that to start was like, <laughs> That was a one-time thing. I can't do that again. Come it's on, Callum. humour in my body. No, no, you can do it. Come on, channel, channel your inner death. Humor here. No, seriously, that, that's it. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a one-time thing. Okay, I was winging it. Laugh. Seriously, there are a lot of people laughing with you here, Callum. This is fantastic. At me. You say at with. You. Go on, okay. Cal. Go on. Come on, Cal. At you about me. Come on. Come on. <laughs> I can't even remember how I did it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to start again, though, now, aren't I? Because we've and gone too long. There's been that, too anyway. much of a pause. Yeah, time, time, time machine. Can't <clears throat> Go again. You ready? 
be like a proper time machine, right? If there was a proper time machine, we'd just go back and we restart it anyway. So, you know. That's a different type cross. True. Different type. Yeah, this is a special time machine, a motorsport time machine. Ooh. Anywho, let's go again. Right. So we have a special segment on the podcast called the Motorsport Time Machine. Yes, it's as glamorous as it sounds. Many special people have been in there before. So all we want you to do is think of a moment in time. You don't have to have been there. You don't have to have been alive. For example, I always choose Le Mans 66 to go and drive alongside Ken Miles in the Fords. Mm. That is where I'd go in my motorsport time machine. Where would you go and why? And you don't necessarily have to drive. You could be commentating, you could meet someone, you could be in a factory, you could do whatever you want within motorsport. Blimey. We got him. That is a a magnificent (laughs) question. You're welcome. No, I don't thank you for it, but it is a magnificent <laughs> question. Um, no, I do. Uh, where would I want to go? <sighs> I'd love to go back to Silverstone, 1950, um, May the 13th, 1950. I'd love to have been, I'd love to watch the first ever Formula One World Championship Grand Prix. What an answer. Knowing, knowing what came after that and knowing that you were, watching history in the making because the people that were there albeit the full house you know and 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 the king would have would have known very much that it was a prestigious occasion but who would have thought that what started uh, that day would have gone on to you know encompass over a thousand races and produce some of the greatest moments in sporting history um, I, I think I would have liked to have been there that day to to, to see it all start. Um, that that is probably genuinely the best response we've actually had to that question. We, we've <laughs> had some really really interesting. I mean, Louise Goodman went parting with James Hunt. Um, well, yeah. To be fair, um, <laughs> that I can understand. You know that. Um, <laughs> I'd love to have party with James Hunt. Yeah. One of the Sky F1 team once tried to drink with Kimi Räikkönen. I'm not going to say who. They failed. Um, <laughs> and 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 party with Kimi Räikkönen probably would have been akin to party with James Hunt as well. Um, but yeah, because there are too many great moments. There are too many great moments to just say, yeah, I want to be. I, I want to be there where Hill and Schumacher uh, had their their crash when Mansell's tire uh, had its uh, blowout. I, I would love to have been there to see Jim Clark uh, drive, you know, and, and race in the day. I would love to watch Jackie Stewart um, in in full flight. I'd I'd love to. You know, part of me would love to have gone back and witnessed the day that John Watson went from twenty second on the grid uh, to to win a Formula One race. Because um, if it's half as good as the way what he tells me it is, it, it would have just been the most magnificent drive ever. But I just I don't know. I I can't narrow it down to one driver to one moment other than. I'd love to have seen how how it all started, and and you imagine the the hairs that would be standing up on the back of your neck, knowing what was to come when uh, when the cars pulled away at Silverstone that afternoon. Callum has come up with a little quiz for you, um, which we we created. I think it was yesterday, a bit on the fly. But uh, Cal, do you want to uh, do you want to introduce the game that we have made specially for Crofty? It's called. Is it Crofty, or is it Brundle? Ooh. And what we've done, we've gone back through your commentary career in Formula One and we've selected some 
key quotes, some right. special quotes. But we've done the same with Martin Brundle. Okay. And what your job is to say whether you said it or Brundle said it. See if you can remember if you actually said these or Brundle said them. It's like Mr or Mrs, isn't it? Um, and we haven't bit, gone easy yeah. with talking about octopuses or grannies. We haven't gone that easy on you. <laughs> uh, we've done some proper research for this one. Oh, this could be bad. Do you know how many words I've used over the years? Well, <laughs> yes, I do I now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, go for it. Then. Are you ready? So yeah. this is uh, the first ever round of Brundle versus Crofty. <laughs> okay, round one. That car is plain fast. And the car it's based on was plane fast last year. Who said it? That's me. Wrong. It no! was Brundle. No! <laughs> that, just, that just sounds like the sort of analysis I'd come up with. I think you said it earlier in this podcast as well. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Okay, round two. That's gone. That's Felipe. Uh, that's Lance Stroll. And he's at... Is that Lance Stroll? Sorry, Julian Palmer. Sorry. Oh, that's definitely me. That is definitely me. Do you remember where it was? (laughs) Do I remember where that was? Uh, Monza? I believe it was Azerbaijan. I can't remember what year it was, but it was Azerbaijan. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was a crash, wasn't it? It was a a turn eight crash. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Um, (laughs) the, the, The trouble is... I have no warning of what these pictures are going to switch to. And I often have people shouting in my ears as well, or talking in my ears, um, as happened at the weekend um, in, in qualifying when someone told me something that they shouldn't have done. Um, and I, you just, in, in a moment, you, you kind of you get convinced that what you're seeing is Felipe, you know, or it's whoever. And to be honest, I, I should just learn to take a pause. But, <laughs> That, that's not worked so far. Round three, Emma. He looked like he was wrestling an octopus there trying to get out of turn four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's me. Is that, that was that was Brundle. That was Brundle. But I think <laughs> I think I've I think I've done that myself. I've done an octopus line uh, or two myself. But I do something like he's he's sliding around like a fish covered in grease on the quayside, or, or something like that. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> Round Three. four, Dan. Right. How embarrassing to get a penalty is an F1 driver going too slowly? Who was that? <laughs> oh, I think that's me again, isn't it? Just no, Brundle no, again. Brundle. <laughs> In France, 2018. <laughs> I think that I actually listen to it, and I do listen to him. I promise you, I do. Okay, around five, Michael. It's redemption day for Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah, that's me, that's Monaco. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And do you know, yeah. and, and the reason I'm, I'm straight in with that one is because, I, you know, I've given it, yeah, redemption day for Ricciardo. Um, and then he came on the radio and said, yeah, Redemption Day, boys. And I'm like, oh, like, I must have got that right. Then. <laughs> it's Redemption Day. Well. Stop nicking Brilliant. my line, <laughs> bloody Aussie, yeah. Okay, round six, one of my personal favourites. This is a thrown cat into a tree full of pigeons here at Interlagos. I think that's Martin. That's no. you. That's <laughs> you. That's uh, Brazil 2012. That's how far back we went here. <laughs> thrown cat into a tree full of pigeons I might have to re- resurrect that one that's good <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
Uh, and all of these, by the way, are all off the top of our head. We do not write this rubbish down <laughs> um, before we go on air. It's, it's sometimes something crops, and certainly in my brain, something crops into your mind that you think, oh, that makes perfect sense if I explain it like this. And then you say it and you think, that makes no sense at all to anyone. That's why I struggle to read it. Cal, <laughs> what's the scores on the doors? We've got uh, two more, I think. Mm. Got two more to go, and all you can do is break a draw. You've got four mm. wrong, two right so far. Disappointing. I've had a proper oh, Mazepin here, haven't I? Oh. Oh. <laughs> we left him out of this as well. Oh, we did I leave him it. out of this. I love it. That's brilliant. Um, the next one. Raikkonen's rear tyre decided to take the shortcut through the barrier there and cut about half a mile and make its own way back to the pits. Who Martin Grundle. Correct. Yes. yes. Way too detailed for me. <laughs> and uh, what are we on? Round nine? Yep. Emma. And he's in the pots. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> when was it? Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> that was last week. Baku? Yeah. Yeah. I said that. Yeah. yeah. Before we started recording, I said, Crofty won't realise that he even said that. <laughs> I no, honestly. Um, <laughs> I, I do believe I said Bottas uh, a couple yeah. of times. Well. I nearly put that one in my one. Of, yeah. <laughs> and honestly, I did not do that on purpose. That was that was not that was not. Twitter on went mad. Twitter went <laughs> bonkers. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes you just you just too polite and too posh for your own good. You know. <laughs> I was channeling my inner, you know, not, in, inner dukedom, as it were. Okay, one of your most... Oh, well, that's giving that away. <laughs> oh, you did! <laughs> uh, get to Michael. Ask, that out. Okay. Ask me the question, I'll oh. say, Brundle. It's lucky we've got a spare one, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get to Michael, this is the really. decider. Right, decider. decider. Cheers Go for on. coming, Dan. <laughs> You're that sort of dexterity... I reckon Alonso could get a job driving a transit van around the M25. Oh, that's that's definitely a Martin Brundle. You're right. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> You've just saved yourself at the end there. You've got five right and four wrong. Well Come done. Come on! That's nice. quite good. Well done. I'd take that. We do First and last round of Crofty versus Brundle. Well done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not going to catch on that as a game show, is it, really? We tried. Come on. <laughs> Honestly, you've been very creative. Um, uh, that's very good. I'll, uh, I'll, give, you, I'll give you this one, um, uh, by the way. I mentioned Nikita Mazepin, who I really shouldn't make fun of, but... <laughs> no, you should. But I did. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, no, I shouldn't. And do you know what? And when, when the radio message came on, um, then uh, he was asked to do a, a, a Charlie 8-5 default thing. And he went, yep, done, got it. It's not Monaco. Um, that was a really good moment because actually that, that was a very involved procedure on the steering wheel that wasn't easy at all. And it was nice to see that he'd actually gone away and learned. Um, and, and he's going through what every rookie goes through. In, in a spotlight glare that not every rookie goes through, um, some of which is his own making, of course. Um, but he needs to learn and he needs to just knuckle down. He's not a bad driver and, and he will get there. Um, but obviously, I am aware that there is quite a bit of chatter about Nikita Mazepin um, on social media um, because I do have uh, uh, children. And uh, my 14-year-old sat at the dinner table the other day and he said, Dad, um, have you seen they're making a new drive to survive? Series. I went, yeah, yeah, I've seen the cameras in, in, in the paddock. You know, they're, 
they're, uh, they're, they're covering quite a lot, and I think there's more of them this year than there was before. Oh no, 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 Dad, they're doing um, they're doing a series just about Nikita Mazepin. I said they are. He went, yeah, it's all about Nikita Mazepin. I went, oh right, oh, I didn't know that. He went, yeah, it's a spin-off. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel is 14 oh like, he got you, do you know what son that is magnificent do you mind if I nick that and use it you know and I'll credit you don't worry about it but I have to say that really did make me laugh a lot that's the sort of gag I, I quite like it was at the first race of the season you cracked cracked all of us up because we were talking about it in our little chat thing where you someone retired yeah, uh, after Mazepin two, crash. We've lost two from this race. Uh, Alonso was suspected brake issues <laughs> and Mazepin was suspected crashing, crashing issues. Yeah, that was brilliant. <laughs> and I said it, and I actually thought, no, Crofty, you're being really cruel there. But That was actually in the game, and I said, right, remove it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, no, I do remember it, because I, I actually, it was a bit unfair. I shouldn't have said that, but, well, he lasted three corners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Crofty, it's been more than a pleasure having you on with us today. Thank you. Um, it's been I've, lovely. Really I've nice. really enjoyed it. We've had a giggle as well. And um, you, you, you drawed? Did, did you draw or did he win? Sorry. I've, what sort, won. Sorry. Who are you? Paul DeResta with your English. <laughs> you drew. <laughs> I'm never going to hear the end of this, Crofty. Thank you. <laughs> Do you know what? What I love about you, Ollie, right? Your start was awful. You, yeah. you, you've, you've not exactly finished in great style, but somewhere <laughs> in the middle, yeah, there was some utter gems there. Yeah, boy. yeah. You know, that, 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 yeah. That, was, that was good. Well, we were like then. People, <laughs> all people are going to remember is the fact that you cocked up the start and you couldn't even get your words in at the finish. That's all people will remember now. <laughs> and this, everyone who's listening to this will rip me forever. So cheers, Crofty, for that. Thank you. Your career could be over before it starts. <laughs> and I hope I've made you feel better today. Ollie. You have, you have. Thank you. Um, I'd normally ask if people want to come back on the podcast, but it's... Uh... <laughs> well, to, to be fair, Emma, Michael, Callum and Dana sent me a message saying, could I come back and replace you next week? Um, yeah, and I think go for it. Unfair of them because they're meant to be your friends as well. And I, I, you just can't trust anyone. <laughs> tell him. Well, Cheers, Crofty. It's, uh, it's been fun. It's been fun. It's been fun. Thank you. No, guys, honestly, Ollie, you are a lovely man. Uh, you, you've done you've done very well. You, uh, you are not formula nerds in any way, shape or form. You are a gorgeous bunch of people. And thank you very much for having me on. It's um, I've really enjoyed this, to be fair. It's, this has made my quarantine, uh, my, my middle quarantining day, because I have to quarantine for five days after every race. Not, not just me, everybody has to do that. Um, it has made it the most fun Wednesday I've had in a long, long time. Oh, that is really lovely oh, to hear. Me. Thank you. No, thank well, you. any other quarantine Wednesday, you can come and talk to these guys anytime you want to. <laughs> well, um, yes. Uh, I'll Crofty. be a spit writer, Ollie. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you and me, mate, stick together. Podcast Network.